0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello
1: there. I am not Austin Bristow. I'm Miles Nelson, and you're listening to On The List. Uh, on the list is obviously our podcast where we talk to all of the members of the pitcher list staff. We talk about baseball. We talk about what they've been up to recently, and we talk about how I am absolutely going to take Austin's job from him. I'm just kidding. Austin is still going to be doing on the list. We're just going to be doing it together, moving forward, switching week in and week out. So, you know, get a couple of new, uh, new voices in here. And I could not have been more honored to have joined, uh, this podcast. I'm really excited. To be talking more uh, to the staff. Um, we normally will do mailbag sessions because this is my first podcast. I forgot that that was something that Austin does. So we'll do that next time. But uh, when you do have questions for our staff, you can send those questions directly to me or Austin Bristow in our PL Plus Discord server, uh, which I am sure we'll talk about in a little bit because, uh, you know, it's such a great place. And it's a place where I know that our guest this week likes to be likes to interact um and that is eric van reenen welcome eric
2: hey miles thanks for having me i know it's your first time hosting uh, i'm excited to be on the very first miles
1: nelson episode of on the list I mean, I, it could be the first episode. I don't know how, the, like the episode that I was a guest on. I don't know if that counts as like the first episode, but you were the first and only person that I've reached out to to do on the list with. So there's there's that at least. You can take that uh, for whatever it's worth. Um, Eric has been with Pitcherless since 2019. Uh, he is a member of the editor's team. So I am sure Eric has seen a whole bunch of stuff, uh, cleaned up a whole bunch of stuff that, uh, the people, the fine people listening, uh, did not get a chance to see because Eric cleaned it up for them in the back end. But Eric, um, man, it's how, how, how have you enjoyed List so far? How, how's your experience been? I have loved being with PitcherList. Uh,
2: before I applied to work for this site, I read it, uh, religiously. Uh, I've been playing in a keeper baseball league for about, uh, five six years now and reading nick's roundups in the morning uh reading the list on mondays was kind of a a devoted ritual that i had even you know before i really dug into the website so uh in 2019 when the call went out for writers and editors i threw my name in the ring didn't even expect to get an interview uh Ended up having an interview with Nick, where for the first like minute, I didn't realize my mic was muted, and Nick was trying to communicate <laughs> that to me. Uh, despite that, I you know got a role with
1: this site, and I've been loving it ever since. Oh, man, that's that's funny. I uh, I had a similar situation when I sent off my application uh, to Nick. I I sent it off and was just thinking, man, if I get an email back, like a form response back, that's like thanks for applying, but like you know you're not what we're looking for, I would have been ecstatic because I I mean. I hadn't written too much about baseball. Like I think my samples that I sent to him were like Reddit posts that I had like in the morning uh, when I didn't feel like working written on my phone. Like, like, yeah, I like, got to like three paragraphs in them, but it, it wasn't exactly like high quality writing. But, uh, I think Nick, one of the amazing things is, is that Nick is such a person of like enthusiasm and he can smell enthusiasm. So, um, that's tip number one. When you listen to to the on the list that I'm on as the director of staff here at PictureList, like you might get a little bit of uh, tips and advice on to like how to get into PictureList. So that's tip number one: is be enthusiastic. That'll always go a long way. Um, but I want to this okay. First of all, on the list is a podcast where we I have some notes here, and we will we will talk in in. about everything that you've done Eric but we're going there's no order it is gonna we're gonna uh wind our way around and so I want to talk about something that I have written down here kind of towards the end but it's about that keeper league uh that you're in because I think this is so you mentioned this but this is so quintessential what makes baseball amazing um tell me more about this keeper league that you're in okay
2: so the keeper league that I'm in uh a, a group of guys who uh, are from a, a couple of different music websites. So before Picture List, my blogging experience came from the music sphere. Uh, I was editor in chief of a website called Property of Zach. I know my name is not Zach, uh, Zach was kind of the <laughs> figurehead. Uh, we covered all kinds of like pop punk, uh, indie rock, uh, and we kind of had some sister music sites where I met some really good friends uh, who admittedly also love baseball the way that I do. Uh, So we formed a keeper league uh, and we call ourselves the Daniel Castro fan club. I don't remember how we first got that name. I think someone drafted Daniel Castro. He was a a slap hitting prospect uh, in the infield for the Braves at the time. Uh, He kind of became like our league's mascot.
1: That's amazing. Uh, I I don't even remember Daniel Castro, which is like, but that's exactly what makes baseball so amazing. It's like just these random guys that like, no one else remembers but you remember like how often do you go on twitter and see like someone starting the thread of like who's that baseball player that no one else remembers and the thread is just full of these like hidden gems that you're like oh my god that guy was like the first baseman for my favorite team for like half a season 10 years ago like what you know and it's just like i don't know that's the best thing about baseball is that any and and any of these guys can be like that that one magic moment type of situation where like there's a there's a Anyone can be the hero, right? In any game. And so, you know, Daniel Castro, Daniel Castro, I'm looking at his stats. Maybe it wasn't him. Three whole home runs in his career, career slugging percentage of 265. Like, I don't know if Daniel Castro was ever going to mash, even if they let him, like y'all were asking them to. But, like, there's a chance that he had a, a huge hit in a game that, like, everyone will remember. Uh, and that's what makes baseball so, so, I mean, I love that. And
2: and you would not believe the way that the group chat popped off when he hit his first major league home run. And, you know, we got the the highlight in the group chat that we have. Everyone went nuts. Uh, A lot of all caps, uh, exclamation points everywhere. Uh, Yeah, but we really uh, evangelized about Daniel Castro and his propensity to mash if he was only allowed the opportunity. Uh, During Fangraph's uh, chats uh, during the week, we would pepper in questions every so often uh, we asked enough questions to Brad Johnson in particular, shout out to Brad Johnson of Rotographs, uh, to the point where he wrote an article about Daniel Castro and kind of slap hitting lower level prospect guys. Uh, hourly got Let Castro Mash t-shirts made. Oh my we God. We did send the one music. to Brad and and he tweeted out that he wore it to a bar and someone thought that he was a communist because they thought it was a reference to Castro. Fidel Castro.
1: That's so funny. That's so funny, uh, man! I love that that you guys were so enthusiastic about Daniel Castro. That one of the writers at PantGraphs was literally like, "Okay, if I write something about Daniel Castro, will you all please stop peppering our chat about?" You know, like when you get a song stuck in your head, you're like, "I need the song out of my head," so you just listen to the damn thing, and usually that's what works. That I think that's what Brad Johnson was going for. He's like, "If I just write this article, maybe they'll finally, maybe the voices in my head will finally quiet down about Daniel Castro."
2: And our Keeper League had a rule, it's a a categories league uh, for mm-hmm. reference, that uh, in a given week, if you lose a matchup 8 nothing, uh you know, getting swept, that you would have to drop one of your players and pick up Daniel Castro. It was a short-lived rule uh, because we had some complaints about it, uh, but it's definitely something that I, I kind of wish we would bring back. It is a, like a great
1: in-season punishment to dole out Oh god i love that that's so funny no so okay so here's here's how you do it right and i love this so much because i okay i love leagues where there's something a little off to them a little bit different um i just i mean if you if you play in a standard fantasy baseball league that's fine i mean i love that i play in a lot of those but like the leagues that that are absolutely the most fun are the ones that have that little something extra so what you guys need to do and what every league needs to do is if you get shut out and it doesn't have to be maybe it doesn't have to be a clean sweep. Like I I take it your league's four by four, hence the eight zero. Which right. hold on, what 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 are the categories if it's four by four? Uh so the categories have been a point of contention over the
2: years. Uh right now it's uh OBP home runs, strikeouts, uh stolen bases, and then on the pitching side it's saves holds, it's ERA, it's on base against and it's whip
1: wait wait, wait. <laughs> okay hold on <laughs> okay so there's no runs or rbi but there are hitter strikeouts no and then and there then are the, hitter strikeouts and then on the pitching side there's no wins or quality starts or innings pitched but it's like save but uh, no save there, there is there are innings pitched. okay innings pitch but there's save holds that's uh, wait pitcher wait do pitcher strikeouts they're not a category in your league oh they, they are a category okay okay i love this league this is amazing
2: um Okay, but, so for uh, for the longest time we used, uh, so it's an ESPN league, and we use ESPN's runs runs created, uh, which is a horrible oh, stat that like none of us could could do the math. We have a, like a, a stats guy in the league, and even he, he couldn't figure out the formula behind runs created.
1: Amazing. So yeah, I, there should uh, be more. There should be more categories like that where no one understands them. And no one knows how they work. Uh, I'm 100% here for it. But, okay, hold on. So back to the rule, though, about picking up Daniel Castro. Here's here's how you have to take it one step further and and the way that this this rule would always work. Because I could see, like, okay, the rule said you have to drop someone and pick up Daniel Castro. Most, most teams have that dude on the bench, like, whatever. Like, it's not going to kill me if I drop this guy. ESPN rosters, I know, are small benches. And so that can... If you're going with the default roster, that can really hurt. But, like, it's not the worst thing in the world. You have to... If you lose... A clean sweep, you should have to pick up that player, your Daniel Castro, your um I don't know, Kyle Farmer, your Jason Grabowski, whatever whatever bit player uh du jour, and you should have to start them for the whole week. They should have See, to be in your lineup now, there is a
2: punishment because at the time when you know we were becoming a, a fan group for Daniel Castro, he was playing for the Atlanta Braves. He didn't play well, but he was playing. Uh currently I think he's out of major league he's baseball. Out of baseball. I'm pretty sure he's, he's out in of the Mexican for years. league now. Yeah. He uh his last stop was I believe in Coors. Uh well for the Rockies organization, we wanted him so badly to make it to Coors because you know the air quality up there, he could definitely have Absolutely. hit 30 home runs in a season no doubt. There's a
1: chance. 100%. I love that. Um yeah, I it's got to be someone who's playing. I feel like the person who gets the clean sweep should be able to choose the player that they beat who has to play for their team for the whole week um i think that's hysterical but however i do think to balance things out a little bit uh depending on if you're a fab league or not if it's a fab league maybe maybe throw that team like i don't know 10 extra bucks five extra bucks for having to drop a player and if it's not if it's waiver priority just give them the first give them the first spot in the waiver claim like it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt anyone and then that way it's not like you know, you have a chance at picking someone up to, to kind of make up for, for starting the Daniel Castro of the week. Uh, See, Miles, this is
2: why you're the mastermind of the Wacky Leagues, so that you, you just have the insight for how these kinds of things should
1: operate. I'm I'm gonna institute this in our staff leagues. This isn't even a wacky league thing. This is just gonna be something that happens in like a real leagues now. Like I, this is amazing. I love this. Um, okay, I really so, do
2: advocate for for any league to find your Daniel Castro, find that player who is not great, not a not a household name, but you just gravitate towards how they play. Maybe they're just really scrappy. Maybe they're you know a modern day David Eckstein type. But just the, find a guy who you can all just get behind and root for their success. Even if their success is, you know, if you're wildly optimistic about how good they actually could be, it's just fun to have someone to, to root on like that.
1: Man, we went so off the rails there right off the bat. We actually had to take a little bit of a break, reset ourselves, crazy stuff. I I love where your head's at with fantasy baseball. And they're, we're going to talk so much more about that, but I want to talk about, want to make sure that we talk about the piece that you just wrote, because it was such a fantastic piece. So like, one of those moments where like I, I was reading, it, I'm like, why haven't we done this before? Why hasn't anyone written about this before? It's such a great premise. And that was you released on Valentine's day, a story about how love and baseball are intertwined for so many couples out there. Um, And you talked to so many really cool people who shared some amazing stories. So just walk me through a little bit of like, Like, what, how did this article, how did this article idea spark for you? Why did you write it? And and what was that like getting to talk to people like John Means and Jeff Passan and Carlos Rodon?
2: Yeah. uh, So, where the idea for the article came from is kind of just the fact that I'm a Yankees fan, born and raised. Uh, My my grandpa on my mom's side is from central New York and has basically made it his life's goal to raise all of his grandkids to be Yankees fans. He's done Mm -hmm. pretty well. Uh, and I am going to be married in June uh, to a Twins fan. Uh, well, congratulations. My fiance is, thank you. Uh, my fiance's name is Alicia. She's from Minnesota. Uh, also born and raised a Twins fan. And I was kind of thinking about how uh, over the summer, we went to our first game together uh, last year. Uh, we went to Target Field, went to see the Yankees play against the Twins. The Yankees won. Uh, but I was kind of thinking about how, Uh, You know, people kind of give us funny looks and funny comments from the ushers about, oh, how are you dating a Yankees fan? Like, why are you holding hands? And, you know, just the (laughs) way that the baseball and love can intersect in some really fun ways. Uh, I'm sure people will see during the season and last season, uh, tweets will go viral from players' wives, uh, Mm -hmm. which is kind of how I, I got in touch with some of the people who I did. But I've always been really interested with the ways baseball kind of crosses paths with other things in life besides, you know, outside of sports.
1: Right. Uh, I, I think it's hysterical, by the way. Good, good. I mean, easier, I think, for you and your family, as the Yankees have always been, uh, The you know, you guys beat the Twins in the playoffs. It's not the other way around. It might be a little bit of a different story if the Twins were always eliminating the Yankees from the playoffs. But I feel like you guys are always want eliminating the Twins. So, you know, a little bit easier for for your side of the family to swallow her Twins fandom. Uh, I can see why maybe while you were at target field, you may not have been as, as welcome considering it's always the Yankees eliminating the twins.
2: Yeah, I was definitely, uh, on the back foot at target field. Uh, but you know, in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, everyone's just nice. It's a Minnesota thing that even though they were kind of giving me a hard time, they're very polite about it. So
1: of course, one, one Uh, nice thing to say about Midwesterners. That's hysterical. So uh first of all again again congratulations uh, uh on your engagement with alicia that that is so cool and and i love that you guys both love baseball um uh megan who i've been with uh for seven years now is not uh didn't grow up on baseball not a huge baseball fan but uh oh lord she does try she she tries her <laughs> best to to care about the stuff that i care about and that's you know that's the best you can ask for um and and she you know she'll go to games and she'll ask questions but you know i can just tell uh actually i will say the one thing that caught her attention more than anything else was um i was looking i was like scrolling through twitter and i was looking i think um i think it was alex fast was doing some overlays um one one day i don't know a year ago whatever and i was scrolling through and she looks over and she goes that's cool And i'm like what this and i show her the the overlay and she's like yeah if they did more of that on the broadcast and not like the dumb like whatever it is that they she she thinks pitchers take too long between pitches so she you know she has an issue with pace of play uh but she loves she should overlays. take it up with with rob manfred exactly exactly she should be at these at these meetings at uh and you know you have something to say about it but uh the overlays really caught her attention so that's like the one thing that she she's fallen in love with in baseball is, is pitch overlays uh but you got to talk to the meanses carolyn and, and and john and um you know jeff and uh sarah passan's story like what what was something that was really cool that let's start with what made the story what, what was something that stood out to you of, of the stuff the stories that you got to share uh what was like the coolest thing that when you were reading it you're like oh my god this is like this is it this is what i've been looking for
2: well i was super excited about all of the sources who i reached out to you and reached back to me uh for this story but I, I definitely wanted to reach out to Jeff Passan uh, just because I know that journalism is a crazy business to be in. And I know this because I am in journalism and yeah. having to break news basically whenever it happens uh, it would probably lead to some really unfortunate timing with, you know, with nights out and things like that. Uh, so right. even just to hear back from him, uh, I sent him a, a DM on Twitter. Uh, I, he's a Syracuse alum. I'm a Syracuse alum i mentioned that. I don't know if that helped. I mentioned that I was just I was just shooting my shot. And if he didn't have time, no worries. But then when I heard back from him to shoot him an email with questions, uh, I was like, there's no way. And I, I went right over to Alicia. I was like, I just heard from Jeff Passan, like for my article. And once I kind of explained how important he is to like our part of the baseball world, she was yeah. so stoked. And we were both just kind of like, you know, doing a happy dance about the fact that we got someone so like high level baseball uh, for a piece like this, but something that really just like came through uh, in all of the interviews, whether it was over the phone or over email, which is everyone just has a a love and passion for the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carolyn Stanley means who was John means wife uh, towards the end of the article. I kind of just copied and pasted exactly what she said because I couldn't put in any better words, Uh, but she was just, you know, talking about, where the game is right now and just that being at the ballpark is this kind of sacred thing uh, and there's community there and it's you know you're you're feeling in touch with your team in a way that you can't when you're not there in person and just reading that and feeling that just so impacted me that I'm so ready to get back to the ballpark whenever I can
1: yeah absolutely and uh it's really cool her talking about how she uh didn't really become a baseball fan until later and there's all these people everyone's just too busy talking about how baseball used to be so great when like it's great now and we have to just stop and like kind of recognize that it's it's still great like yeah we can all moan and 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 cry about oh things were better you know this time or that time but like I mean, it's still so much fun to watch now. It's still great to go to a game now. So, uh, got to stop and smell the roses uh, every now and then. And hopefully, we will be able to do that at baseball games soon. Uh, hopefully, they'll figure their stuff out. Uh, we're not going to delve into that too much because uh, that's obviously who knows what's going to happen with that. Um, with the Jeff Passan thing, I think that's so. You know, talking about journalism and and you being in journalism, I definitely want to get your your thoughts on this. But um, I going to another sport real quick. I remember. I think it was I can't remember what trade deadline it was, but there's a trade deadline. It might have been when uh, Kyrie was traded from uh, to the Celtics. I can't remember exactly, but um, a national ESPN uh, basketball writer was in Rome, like on vacation with his wife at the time, Uh, and he was tweeting and tweeting and tweeting about it. And then after maybe like half an hour of just nonstop tweets, he goes, all right if i don't put my phone away now my wife will divorce me like i'm going to dinner and i'm turning my phone off and i was like i had always dreamed of being you know that that writer that plugged in source um i even remember weirdly this is such a weird memory to have but when i read moneyball for the first time there's a passage in there about picking up the phone because peter gammons was calling because peter gammons always has some scoop that other people don't have. And I was like, dude, that's so cool. Like he's so plugged in. He gets to talk to the general manager. And then I was realizing like, it can be such a lonely and like draining life. So working in journalism, talking to Jeff Passan about this, like what's your kind of perspective on like being in journalism today?
2: Uh, So one thing that really stuck out to me that Jeff Passan mentioned uh, in his interview, uh, it was over email. Uh, Of course, he's a busy guy. Uh, but he talked about you know being away during spring training for Valentine's Day and not being able to celebrate, and that's something that makes sense. Uh, but when he's at home and he's riding late into the night, uh, he can often feel more like a specter than a spouse or a co-parent. and That's right. something that really resonated with me because I have been that person at times where I'm riding late into the night or I'm trying to secure interviews. Or, and, and it's really easy to get wrapped up in that, especially with working from home becoming a more prevalent thing uh, as of late. For obvious reasons, but just you know trying to hit that home life balance while working a job that demands your attention so much of the time really struck me with uh you know out of the things that he mentioned,
1: yeah, I can't imagine how difficult it can be like it's one thing when you're on the road, which obviously being on the road can be very hard, but at least the whole time. You can be in work mode. And obviously, you hope to carve out time throughout the day to call home, to FaceTime with your kids. Um, it sucks that you're not there at the little league game, you know, that kind of thing. But at the, you know, when you're on the road, like, okay, I'm working and I, I can work pretty much the whole time that I'm here. Uh, but when you're at home, it can be, I can see how that can just be such a really crappy experience to, you know, always be working, to be, uh, you know, writing that piece that has to come out because something just happened or as Jeff so frequently does, like breaking news on Twitter and then staying to like, you know, get all the make sure he gets all the right information because it they, in, in Jeff's world, you can't wait to send out those tweets. You got to send out the tweet the second you get that information um, in order to be like the first one on it. And then you can kind of dig deeper and uh, give more context or write the piece on it. Um, and it can be so tough to, I could just see Jeff, sitting there at the dinner table and then immediately all of a sudden it's like all right well now i gotta go work for the next five hours and you're not gonna see me or hear from me because i can't you know i have to i have to be able to be fully uh plugged in here so um yeah i can can see that being tough
2: and jeff even mentioned that uh uh raising their sons uh you know they, they weren't trying to make baseball a priority in their lives uh Outside of, you know, his work being his work. But of course, his oldest son is playing travel baseball this summer. uh, And he said that, you know, part of that, it wasn't forced, it wasn't a necessary thing. But he just thinks that baseball is such an eminently lovable sport uh, that, you know, his son caught on regardless of who Jeff Besson is in the baseball world. And I just kind of love that no matter what, baseball finds a way.
1: Yeah, I always wonder how much uh, celebrities kids like just don't care about like what their their parents do like, uh, you know, kids of like actors, like if they're just like, I don't care that you're Wolf Ferrell, you know, or whatever, like, it like, it doesn't matter to me, like what you do. Because, uh, you know, you're just my dad, right? And then it's not like, you know, how the rest of the world sees Jeff Basson or sees, you know, whoever. So. Yeah, and I do love that. One thing that
2: he mentioned was that the Elmo voice that he debuted on the on the Dan Levitard show, uh, you know, to a national audience was one he had a workshop with his sons. He would just say like ridiculous things in that voice. So it's something that he had cooking for a long time, and then, uh, get, you know, get get on on the radio host knowing that he found gold once uh, once right. he popped that voice out.
1: Two two amazing things. Uh, Last things about Jeff Passan. Number one, that Elmo voice at the end of your your uh, you know section about Jeff Passan. Jeff recounting that um, when his wife, the first thing his wife said, she goes, "Was it the appropriate Elmo voice?" Because it started with me using it to say wildly inappropriate things to our boys, and I'm just trying to picture Elmo. (laughs) saying like completely not safe for work stuff to kids and it is it's cracking me up so i'm glad that you know i'm sad and glad that that didn't make it onto espn uh but good on good on jeff for for finding for finding ways to keep things uh you know funny in the home you know i I love that um but the other thing is and i I remember this so vividly because this happened around the time jeff um there was a mobile baseball game which mobile games are the worst and i don't recommend anyone play any mobile game of any kind but i (laughs) i got hooked on this baseball game and around the time that i got hooked on it someone jeff passan was like someone was like with him and did a video of jeff showing this game and how hooked jeff was into it and he was literally like trying to pull up the app to like show uh like how how invested he is in his team and everything and the app had reset his entire team. Oh, no. Like, like you know, this is like Diamond Dynasty like type, video, right? Where you, like, spend money to, like, open packs to get players. Or you're, like, you know, trading cart, all this stuff to, like, build the best team and Jeff is like going on this rant about how much he hates this game because it was one of those it's one of those mobile games where you hate yourself for playing it but you also can't stop and like everyone that I talked to who played it felt the exact same way and there's like a four minute video of like Jeff going on like a two and a half minute rant about how terrible this game is and then excitedly pulling up the app to show the person his team just to watch as he was like my entire team got reset and it like he had like nothing and he was like, see, like exactly what I'm saying, this game sucks. He's like, and I just dropped I think he had mentioned like he had just spent money to buy packs recently too. Like that And that, I, that now I need to track quit. down this
2: video because I'm positive you can probably see like his soul leaving his body as he <laughs> you opens the app and he sees can. his team missing
1: you absolutely can you can you can feel it through the video and that actually that video helped me quit playing the game now i never spent any money on it but i was wasting so much time that i was like oh my god like i have to stop this is madness so thank you it it might even be be
2: worse when you don't spend money on it not to get on the mobile games tangent but then you're you know you're trying to grind to make up for the fact that you're not spending money on it and mobile games are their own thing and i stand with miles nelson and saying that mobile games are a waste of time don't do them
1: don't play any of them i wasted hours a day trying to grind through like the events and stuff so that i could get a good player card that literally has absolutely no value so anyway uh mobile game tangent aside we talked a little bit about uh your background in journalism um you know a lot of us here at pitcherless we you know write as like a side thing and don't work in journalism. So, um, tell me a little bit more about, about working in journalism and what that means and just kind of what, what you're doing.
2: Yeah. So, uh, in college, I, uh, graduated from Syracuse university, uh, which was kind of my real foray into journalism where I probably spent as much time at the student newspaper as I did in classes, uh, which I feel like should come with an apology, but, uh, sorry, (laughs) not sorry. Uh, I was. Ah, hey, that's a, learning. Uh,
1: that's 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 education. That's it,
2: real. It, it, it's practical education uh, in a way that you just can't get in the classroom. Uh, exactly. And at the time, I was both a copy editor. Uh, I wrote music reviews. I was the concert coverage person, which is a lot of fun. Got to cover a lot of great concerts at Syracuse. Uh, awesome. So, kind of writing and editing in tandem has always been in my skill set. Uh, currently, uh, I work for the. Uh, for Gannett, which is like the USA Today network of newspapers, uh, their design center where I uh, kind of get stories ready for publication for print.
0: That's uh, awesome.
2: So I don't do any writing for my day job, which is great because I feel like doing too much writing could, you know, burn someone up pretty easily. So right. my writing efforts go primarily to picture lists, which is a phenomenal outlet for you know that creative energy that I store up.
1: Yeah, that's that's really cool. And you mentioned the the design center. Um uh, you mentioned to me before we were uh recording that you've you worked in newspaper design in Texas before. Um and had like a pretty cool moment around that.
2: Yeah, uh so my first job right out of college, I worked at a newspaper design studio in Corpus Christi, Texas, which is about as far south in Texas as you you can go. Uh, I learned this the hard way when I was moving from Pennsylvania with my dad. Uh, That we kind of, you know, (laughs) scheduled out three days to drive down and we get to the Texas welcomes you sign and we're like, oh great, Texas welcomes us. We are so close and we had another full day's drive to get to, you know, our final destination. It's Uh, like as far
1: to get from the southern tip of Texas to like the any any border of texas than it is to get from pennsylvania to texas in the first place that is an exaggeration but i'm pretty sure texas is that big
2: it is not that far of an exaggeration when they say everything is bigger in texas they are not joking <laughs> uh but uh corpus christi was the home to and still is the home to the corpus christi hooks uh the AA affiliate for the houston astros and when i was there in 2016 Alex Bregman had just gotten the call to double A. And this is when he was still, you know, an Uber prospect, uh, hadn't made his major league debut, wouldn't for another like year and a half, uh, if I remember correctly. But uh, the newspaper that was our hub was the Corpus Christi Caller Times. And they were doing this big sports, like Sunday piece spread about uh, the call-up of this fantastic prospect and asked me to, you know, do the design, layout. Lay uh, this whole package around Alex Bregman, which is a really cool experience because I think I was the guy on the staff who loved baseball the most. Yeah. Uh, a close second would be uh, Dennis, who I worked with, who was uh, a transplant from New York City and loved the Yankees about as much as I did.
1: There you go. So you guys you guys brought the baseball love with you from from the New England area from. Well, I don't even know if that technically is the New England area. I feel like I just pissed some people off, but from the the northeast there. Uh, But, uh, you know, it's it's really cool. And uh, I don't know where that ranks now in like Alex Bregman's moments of like cool things that have happened to him. But I guarantee you when he got that call up, like I guarantee he got a copy of that paper and thought that that was like the coolest thing
2: yeah I wouldn't be surprised. There's you know probably like four or five pages dedicated to him uh there's a really great profile written about him and when you are you know in double a uh and this is like your the biggest step of your of your baseball career, I'm sure that you know that story in that newspaper of the of the time you will be playing in for the foreseeable future is you know an exciting thing to get your hands on.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Then now it may be in a drawer somewhere with a bunch of other like cool stories that have been written about him. But like, Hey, hey, if
2: there's a if there's a newspaper in Alex Bregman's home somewhere stashed away in a closet or a drawer that has my design credit on it, then I'm still a happy camper
1: yeah i mean that's probably where it There probably there's probably like a box somewhere you know i would i would i would, look if i was a major league baseball player you know making my way up through the mine, i would keep that stuff personally uh and i feel like you know i feel like alex Bregman is a jerk and i hate him but i feel like he would keep it i feel like <laughs> as a dodger fan i can't like him but you know uh and, and there's a caveat i was waiting for the, the I, dodgers fandom you know I gotta do it. I gotta do it. I have to remind everyone that they're all a bunch of dirtbags. Anyway, uh, so let's let's talking about baseball. Obviously, your favorite team is the Yankees. Um, I have no qualms with that. I don't have any. You know, I know a lot of there's a lot of like Dodger Yankee rivalry, but that's from like the '50s. You know, like when was the last time that the Dodgers and Yankees were ever like actually in competition with each other for something?
2: Um, which is probably why they were still in Brooklyn.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. Like there was a, there was a long period of time where the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Yankees were playing each other year in and year out in the world series. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know we faced off in 78. Um, I don't know if that was us against you in 81, but it wasn't, again, I wasn't alive for either of these. So I don't even care anyway. Um, I think the last time that we lost to you for something that really mattered was uh, Garrett Cole. And I think we really lost to ourselves because we weren't really willing to pay Garrett Cole. We were trying to get all funky with his contract that we were offering him. So uh, I feel like that's the last time we've really we've really lost to you guys. In any way, just that I a, a
2: battle about. for the pocketbooks.
1: A battle, a battle for the pocketbooks and for the right to pay someone three hundred and thirty million or whatever it was. Um, I think we were trying to. I think if I remember correctly, we were trying to uh, defer like a hundred million dollars of that contract, like way out into the future. So I don't blame Garrett Cole for saying no uh, to us whatsoever. Um, But I, I mean, it, you know, you're probably, you, you probably saw like some of those great Yankee teams of the late nineties, early two thousands, um, as well as like the, what was it? Oh, nine team that won it all. Maybe Oh eight. I can't remember exactly what year you guys last won at all, but what are, who are some of your favorite Yankees players and favorite Yankees moments that like that aren't that aren't the Derek Jeter moment you know that aren't the Aaron Boone moment something something that like the rest of the world doesn't know about or like doesn't always see right so I've been
2: lucky enough to get to see games uh, both at the old Yankee Stadium and the new Yankee Stadium Uh, I have an aunt who lives in New Jersey and that was kind of the first time it was probably in the mid-2000s going up to the old Yankee Stadium before it was torn down Uh, one thing. Whenever I've seen the Yankees play, I've seen them play in Target Field. Uh, I've seen them play in in New York, in Cleveland. Uh, pretty much anywhere that was close to me. And I never got to see any of like the real big name starting pitchers. Uh, you know, I never saw CC start. Whenever I'd go to a game, I'd get really excited for you know the uh the rotation to be announced, and there'd always be like John Lieber is gonna start the game that I'm going to or al Leiter is pitching this game and just like oh, come on i can't get any of the superstar guys but kind of seeing those guys pitch is still <laughs> really fun like even this past summer i was hoping for a garrett cole game but uh jordan montgomery pitched like five really serviceable innings and it was fun to watch
1: that's that's all. i mean when you play for a team that has the depth of talent um you know yankees and and being a dodger fan i feel the same way like you don't always get to see you know, the Garrett Coles and the Clayton Kershaw's of the world, but you know, you're at least going to see good baseball. And, and typically speaking, the lineup will have at least even on days when, you know, you've got your, your Billy McKinney starting at first base or whatever to give someone a day off. You still are going to have some stars in that lineup, some all-stars in there. Um, I went to a game this year, uh, Dodgers, Rockies, and it was Antonio Sensatella against Mitchell White. And I was just like, there's so many pitchers on the Dodgers and I get to watch Sensatella almost like damn near no hit us for like six innings. It was, yeah,
2: great. exactly. Is that you'll never know what you'll get. Uh, another moment that I loved was going to uh getting to see the Subway Series in New York. Uh, I went with That's my dad, cool. who is not a big baseball fan, but he is Dutch. Uh, he's originally from the Netherlands, came to the US to play soccer in college. Uh, he doesn't love the Yankees way that I do, but he really had a soft spot for Didi Gregorius, who uh played for the Dutch national team. Uh so in the game that we saw Didi hit like a first inning triple and my dad went nuts. And it's just so fun to see <laughs> him get so invested in a player who, you know, had his moments but was never really a superstar.
1: Uh but to see he had that, that one year like connection. He did have that one year. Had that one year <laughs> that that I'm still drafting him for. Uh that's really cool. D so D Degrace played for the Dutch team. I think um that that's not he's not from the Netherlands though I'm assuming he's
2: from I uh the Dutch Antilles I want to say uh but those you know that collection of islands plays they kind of yeah combine Kenley their forces Jansen with... yeah exactly
1: yeah yeah a lot a lot of those players I remember Kenley Jansen uh was the was the catcher for uh, uh the Netherlands in the 2006 World Baseball Classic I think uh, or the 2009 one maybe. He was the catcher for the team in one of those and we all know what happened to that guy. Um and so, I had
2: I had even gotten my dad a a DD jersey to wear to the game. Uh which he was really excited about uh until he ended up on the Phillies and now he just thinks
1: of it as, you know, a relic of a lost time. Hey, throwbacks are great. Like you got to you got to have when you it says something about someone when they have that Jersey or, or Jersey or anything of a player that used to be on the team. Cause it tells me one of two things. It either tells me number one, that this is a real fan of the team that, you know, they've been a fan for a while. I don't, let me phrase, I don't want to say real fan. I don't want to gatekeep, but this is someone who's, who's put in their time, who spent the time with the team and still reps, the team still proud of that time. Or it tells me they're a smart shopper and they go find the the shirts and jerseys on clearance. (laughs) Once the player is no longer on the team. And uh, as
2: long as the players shows goodwill, like, you know, if my dad went back to Yankee Stadium, which uh it would be a hard sell after how busy the subways were, right. uh, and he wore his DD shirt, I feel like no one would be upset to see that. But if, you know, if someone wears maybe like a Johnny Damon jersey, uh, then you're kind of asking for uh for weird looks.
1: It's going to be a little little weirder there, a little, little rougher. Speaking of weird, by the way, I just want to say, so I've been to Yankee Stadium one time uh in my life the new one not the old one so i have never even been to the real yankee stadium but i've been to the new yankee stadium and uh it was i i had a co- i worked for a company that was um headquartered in Parsippany, New Jersey which is uh, it's not too far from from New York it was i've I pretty much every time i went to corporate i went into the city so like it was doable but the time i went to see the yankees play it was like the first time that i made the trip in and for some reason we decided to drive so I drove from New Jersey to Yankee Stadium. That that is a choice, Miles. I respect it. I am not envious of it. It was a bad. Every single time I went to New York, I like got better at at t- public transportation to the point that okay, so like the next trip I took the train, uh, or I took I don't remember exactly what I took. I might have taken like a Greyhound or something. But like every single trip. I was like, "Why did I do that dumb thing that I did last time?" <laughs> let's find a better way to to do this. Um, I'm pretty sure one time I took a lift into the into New York, and that was really expensive. That was, although that was to meet Nick Pollock in person for the first time. Oh, so, so
2: I, it was worth every
1: penny. I'd say worth it, absolutely. Um, real quick, let's take an ad break, and then let's get talk a little bit more about uh, some of the other stuff that you've written. All right, what a what a great ad there! Thank you, Nick Pollock, and or whoever read that. We totally could. We know what you just heard, listener at home. Uh, but Eric, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the other stuff that you've written here at Pitchlist because when I went when you go to your author page and you look at this stuff, it, it is just fun. Like everything you've written here has just been like a really fun idea and a fun topic. And I guess part of that is when you're an editor here. You get a little bit more freedom of like writing exactly what you want to write when you want to write it, but it is just some really great uh, premises. And I want to start not with the fun ones. I want to start with the bold predictions that you wrote in 2020 when you first joined the staff. Uh, a couple months after you joined, because bold predictions are fun. People love bold predictions, and I just I always think it's fun going back to some of these old ones. So I just want to see. How, let's let's see how you did. Uh, in. in your bold predictions um because i've done poorly in them so i want to i want to know and some of these are not good uh because that's how it happens like Willie. oh calhoun i know
2: finishing. i know just how hard i wrote for willie calhoun and we know how that story has gone so far
1: i do love willie calhoun i mean i i think willie calhoun was the real deal and i don't know what happened to him but you actually really hit really well on a few of these Um, now obviously you wrote these, uh, before the pandemic started. And so like, for example, one that you wrote was that, um, Mike Yastrzemski was going to hit 30 home runs. I don't think anyone hit 30 home runs in that pandemic shortened season, but Yastrzemski did hit 10 home runs in 54 games, uh, which exactly works out to 30 home runs over 162 games. So had we played a full season and Yastrzemski played every single game, you would have been right. Yastrzemski would have, and that that is by far his best season. So you were on about Mike Yastrzemski. I I, I think you I think you should get that one. I, I I will take that one. I think I can I can picture
2: one other one that I think I hit on relatively well about Kyle Lewis and then there yes. probably nosedives from there.
1: So the Kyle Lewis one was also really good. You uh that was the first one where I When I went into these, I was fully expecting all of them to be terrible because that's how they typically not not because of you, but bold predictions usually end up looking really bad. But you said Kyle Lewis would channel his inner Jorge Soler and Kyle Lewis went on that season to hit 11 home runs in 242 plate appearances, only a slugging percentage of 437. This is not he's not, you know, this is not Jorge Soler uh, when he hit 48 home runs or anything. But, like, if you told anyone that Kyle Lewis was going to have the season that he did, uh, no one no – one, I mean, I, maybe some people would have believed you. He did well in his 75-plate appearance stint in 2019. But uh, Kyle Lewis definitely took everyone by surprise in 2020, and you, you saw that one coming.
2: Yeah, I kind of wish we got to see more out of him. Uh, I felt terrible for him last year with all of the injuries, uh, and, like, I don't think he saw the field once. And of course, with the Mariners and their outfield situation kind of in flux with young stars coming in, yeah. uh, I, I hope Kyle Lewis keeps getting his chance because, uh, you know, like like you said, he didn't quite have solar power, uh, but he definitely surprised a lot of people. And I was kind of glad that I could be early on that train.
1: Yeah, you were definitely, definitely one of the, like, I don't know what his ADP would have been that year, but, uh, and nobody was drafting Kyle Lewis except hoping for a future Jorge Soler. So you were definitely higher on him. Um, there's two other people that I think you did really well in your prediction, but you were just a year early. Um, one of them being Miles Straw. You had Miles Straw stealing 40 bases. Um, now he did only steal 30 bases this past year, but I think. We've seen what that version in your head of Miles Straw could have been in 2020. I think that's what we're seeing now, and a lot of people are drafting Miles Straw this year as though he could steal those 30 or those 40 bases. So I think you were right on about Straw, and then you were also right on about Freddie Peralta. Um, now you you wrote he would take up the mantle of the Brewers' staff ace, which unfortunately Corbin Burns and, and Brandon Woodruff exist, but. <laughs> Freddie Peralta became a really, really good pitcher, and there's a half dozen teams, at least in the majors, where Peralta would absolutely be the number one starter on that team.
2: Yeah, and if you're the number three behind Woodruff and Burns, is that really a bad place to be?
1: I mean, the fact that that Nick has Burns and Woodruff ranked, I'm pretty sure number two and three currently on the list, means that there's no, there's literally only one pitcher in baseball. Who could be the the staff ace of the Brewers, uh, according to the way Nick ranks starting pitchers? That would have been Garrett Cole. So you literally had to be Garrett Cole to be better than Burns and Woodruff. But yeah, I think. Uh, and 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 here's the, amazingly, the first thing that you write in in your paragraph about Freddie Peralta is, the Brewers have assembled some intriguing names to compete for spots behind Brandon Woodruff in the rotation, Corbin Burns. That was literally the first course you write, and then you talk about why Freddie Peralta is going to be Freddie Peralta's the, the workhorse you're hitching your wagon to. So, you man, this Brewers starting pitching takes you're doing well. And of course, uh, I I had written that article when I was still
2: living in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Now that I'm in Milwaukee, it feels even better that I kind of hit the nail on the head with some of these Brewers pitchers.
1: You should have just, like, when you moved to Milwaukee, you should have just taken this, like, a screenshot of this and just taken it with you and be like, please adopt me into your city, everyone. I, I deserve to be here. Even more than that, I could just take that to the Brewers front office. You know, that that, that
2: is my resume. <laughs> I can take that and be like, hey, I called Freddie Peralta. Just let me see some other guys in your system. I'll call Aaron Ashby, too, while I'm at it.
1: There you go. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. you like, Hey, I, I said Corbin Burns in this article. I wrote his name and look what happened to him. I'll write Aaron Ashby a bunch of times just, just to, uh, see what happens there. Um, so I love that. But then there's, there's three articles, uh, that you've written in the time between, uh, your bold predictions and the love, uh, love and baseball piece that you just put out. And every single one of them, as soon as I read the, the headline, I was like, I have to read this. Um, you wrote something during the height of the pandemic when there was nothing else, no, no, like games, nothing for us to talk about. We did a a whole series on what we love about baseball. Um, we called it "Why I Love," and you wrote "Why I Love the Knuckleball." Um, and this is just such a fantastic article because it's not. A lot of these articles were just love letters uh, to the thing, which is you know that's totally fine. But you, man. You included gifts. you included charts of knuckleball usage, like you got in there about knuckleball. I feel like you might be one of the world's leading experts under the age of 75 on knuckleballs. It's just so hard to not love the knuckleball
2: because it just doesn't behave how a pitch should. And all the looping and dancing that the pitch does, you know, going like 60 miles an hour and tying batters in knots. Uh, I, I think my love for the knuckleball dates back to a Rick Riley column from Sports Illustrated in the early 2000s when he wrote up Tim Wakefield and just kind of watching that rare breed of pitcher. I love oddities in baseball. and The knuckleball is just one of those things that you don't get to see often, but when you do, you're just really happy to witness it.
1: Is there anything better than the slow-mo, like, like really zoomed in gifs of the knuckleball where you can just see the complete and utter lack of rotation? I think the only thing better
2: than that might be like the look on the batter's face trying to hit that pitch. <laughs> there, there's just so much confusion and contempt for whoever is throwing the knuckleball that it's just, you know, it's beautiful to watch as a fan of pitching.
1: Yeah, especially like it's one thing when you go up and you face your Tim Wakefield, your R.A. Dickey, your Stephen Wright. You like, you know, like, OK, this guy's about to throw me a bunch of knuckleballs. Like So you know what to expect. I mean, you don't you don't because it's knuckleball. But like, you, you know that that's what's coming. It's when... These dudes break out knuckleballs that like don't only throw them Um, or and getting into this is kind of bridge the gap here between two pieces you wrote. But uh when Luke Miley, male, the catcher, uh, pitched an inning for the Blue Jays and threw knuckleballs like that would like I would want to throw my bat at him. I'd be like, what do you stop? Please? No, don't do that.
2: Yeah, and it's like, you know, as a batter, you're expecting just meatballs down the middle of the plate from position players pitching, right? Uh, but when Luke Maley is out here busting out knuckleballs, which is already a dying art form, and it, it kind of feels like a a class of magic in a way that there are a few magicians who have that trick left in their book, uh, and no one really wants to learn it, but apparently Luke Maley did, and getting to watch a catcher throwing them just feels all kinds of serendipitous.
1: Yeah, like there's this unwritten rule when a when a position player is on the mound. It's like, OK, look, here's the deal. I'm not going to try my hardest as the hitter. I'm not going to take your meatballs and just and just hit nothing but home run. Like we're, we're, we'll we're swing. We're going to play baseball. But like I'm not I'm not out here going to, you know, uh, trying to run up the score or anything. And what you're going to do as the pitcher is you're just going to throw straight pitches. You want to throw like one curveball on there because you think it's cute. That's fine. But don't don't make me look bad. And we're not going to make you look bad. And for Luke mainly to just come out and spit all over that and be like, I'm just going to throw knuckleballs and like, good luck doing anything. Like I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's hysterical, uh, which brings me to, I think the, the best, the, the love and baseball piece you just put out was amazing. I think this is the, one of the best things I've ever written on the site. And it is, you're building the best, no pitcher, no hitter. Yeah. So it's just so much fun to write
2: because I was Kind of trying to think of oddities after the baseball season of you know what's something that might have gotten overlooked, and whenever a position player pitches there's always hubbub on Twitter, uh social media buzzes, but it was kind of fun just trying to assemble what were the best innings thrown by position players, and can I cobble together a game where they would have no hit you know an opposing team uh, and it was just kind of a, a fun thought exercise to see okay let's let's put together the best outing possible thrown by position players
1: i learned i learned two things i learned a lot more than two things i learned two things that really stood out to me reading this article number one being that uh there were 90 90 uh non-pitcher pitching position players pitching uh appearances in 2019 uh that feels like a lot um and i'm all here for it i know there's some people on twitter that are going to grumble be like oh let's get rid of this this is fun Okay. Don't get rid of fun. Uh, but the other thing I learned is there's a lot of catch. I feel like a lot of catchers are the players that are called upon to to pitch. Yeah, that's
2: something I definitely picked up on as well. And I wonder if it's because they're you know their proximity to pitching and their their job in the battery right that maybe they're kind of picking up on grips and and pitches as they're catching. But it definitely felt like there was way more catchers than any other position players who were asked to take the mound and. It'd be really fun to dig into if there's any kind of reasoning behind that, but I'm not sure, you know, small sample size and everything.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I almost like my instinct might just be like my, my first thought, just that the second catcher and sometimes on a roster might have three catchers. This just not getting a lot of use anyway. You're you're not going to need them in any kind of pinch hit or pinch run situation. Not that when you put a position player in a pitch that that's, anything that's going to happen because most of these games are you know 10 runs apart or more but it's like we don't need to you know spend this uh guy that you know maybe it's like a starter on the bench or uh you know our our key pinch hitter we don't need to like expend his energy pitching today like we aren't gonna need alex avili we're not gonna need luke Maley. like we can just throw that on the mound it's not a big deal And, Miles, I'm so with you that I know there's a lot of backlash on social media about, oh, position
2: players pitching are bad for this sport. But in a game where the score is, you know, 12 to 1 in the sixth inning and it's basically over, why not inject a little bit of fun into things and have someone who doesn't pitch take the mound? And, you know, it's a little bit of a spectacle, and I respect that.
1: Dude, there's a there's a, a legitimate buzz at the arena anyone who says position players shouldn't pitch has not been to a game where a position player comes in to pitch because it l- literally people get excited it's like it brings the energy um you managed to get a no hitter 9 innings 9 strikeouts no uh two walks and a save someone a position player recorded a save uh in in 2019 the the Orioles and the Angels played a 16 inning game where literally the when the Orioles took a two run lead in the top of the 16th. They were like, we don't have anyone else to pitch, so here's Stevie Wilkerson, who I was this is when I learned who Stevie Wilkerson was at all, and uh, they're like, just either we win or lose, but just just get this game over with.
2: And and even tying back to what we were talking about before with the remember those guys, guys, Stevie Wilkerson is not a household name, nor is he a guy that you're drafting in fantasy baseball, but he's a position player who went out there through a clean inning, got a save. And that's, you know, that's one of those things that it's just fun to look back on. But like that's the thing that happened in major league baseball. Let's just bask in that glory for a moment.
1: Stevie Wilkerson has a career OPS plus of 62 and yet, also has managed to, as a pitcher, hold opponents to well. I was going to say to below that, but um, actually, he's he's pitched six in the third innings in his career. He he they called on him four times in 2019. Stevie Wilkerson finished four games in 2019 and got a save. So uh, maybe maybe that's where Wilkerson needs to be putting his time and energy. Is isn't it being maybe, maybe he missed his true calling as a as a relief pitcher. Maybe he misses true calling. Speaking of missing true calling, you're teeing these up, Eric. The next article that you write, incredible. What if Kyler Murray chose baseball?
2: Yeah, so this was kind of inspired by the Athletic a series. I think it was mostly during the pandemic. Uh, well, well, you know, in the bridge between when spring training started and when summer camp began, uh, looking at like what ifs. And I love a good hypothetical. And Kyler Murray... You know, spurning the Oakland A's to go play for the Arizona Cardinals made for such an interesting storyline. Like, what if, in an alternate universe, he did decide to play baseball? And how would that look for Oakland? It's just kind of fun diving into the, the ripple effect that that would cause, how that team dynamic would change, how good would he be, when would he be called up? And just kind of exploring those questions that we don't have the answers to, but they're fun to think about. It's something that I love
1: to get to do with Pitcher List. Do you think Kyler Murray would be in the major leagues today? Like he would make the opening day roster for the Oakland A's had he just chosen to uh, to play baseball from from the moment he was drafted?
2: Yeah, for the 2022 season, I really think that by this time of course prospect growth isn't linear and it's hard to map out any prospects, you know, trajectory to the major yeah, leagues. But cares? I do think that if if things broke his way, he would have a chance to play for the A's opening day twenty twenty two.
1: Would he, would we, do you think we'd be talking about him at the very least like the way we talk about Miles Straw where it's like, here's a really fast dude that can rack up steals on your team? Like, is, are, we, are we feeling such a scarcity of stolen bases because Kyler Murray chose to play football instead of baseball?
2: Oh, now, now that is a hypothetical I didn't even think about. Uh, is it all his fault? I, I think comparing him to Miles Straw, we're doing him a little bit of a disservice. He's somewhere between Miles Straw and Byron Buxton, uh, which I realize is a wide gap. Right. Um, but yeah, I feel like he would be like kind of that speedy outfielder, you know, he gets you a lot of steals and maybe heads 15 home runs if everything goes well.
1: I love it. And here's the other thing too. You mentioned this up at the top, but so he doesn't go into, into baseball out of high school because obviously he is so well regarded in football and he has no chance of making it into the nfl without playing three years in college um and so you know where you can still he can still go to baseball if he goes to oklahoma and bus as a as a quarterback he can still go go and play baseball after that so there's a there's a no-brainer for him but uh you mentioned you know keith law had ranked him the number 32 prospect in the 2015 mlb draft like he would have been you know at the very least a second round pick um in 2015 coming out of high school like what could kyler murray's career have been if he was drafted out of high school which is also
2: super interesting to consider again with high school players there's that lengthy growth that it takes to get from you know high school ball to the majors but Mm -hmm. i think one of the most interesting things to consider with kyler murray is if he just chose baseball would we talk about him the same way would he be as recognizable As he is, as the quarterback of the Cardinals, right? Yeah, Uh, and I I think that he would kind of toil in obscurity in the Oakland system. Uh, I do think he would have played sooner, but he probably wouldn't be the household name that he is right now, uh, which is really interesting to explore, right?
1: Right. Well, that's where you got to bet on. You know, he bet on himself being that that quarterback. I mean, it just it's so hard to be a quarterback at Kyler Murray's level. I mean, we're talking a guy who's a top ten quarterback in the NFL, and and. You know, whether whether or not that's like a you know more of a fantasy versus like how good is he in real life it doesn't matter um, people know Kyler Murray and they know him as a quarterback but there's also every chance that Kyler Murray could have been he, I mean he still could have been drafted high and then become Josh Rosen for example someone who no one talks about anymore or cares about um and, and then you
2: wonder if if he's Josh Rosen kind of fits out in the NFL does he return to baseball uh, could he be one of those guys like I mean, obviously, Bo Jackson did it at the highest level, but like, you know, right. Deion Sanders, who played both sports, uh, could he have and uh, could he still be a guy who has played in the NFL and plays, you know, logs a major league season?
1: Right. Uh, Kyler Murray being a quarterback and, and having the earning potential that he does means we'll never see this. But uh, Oakland, trade his draft rights to the Diamondbacks. Let's make it. Well, I mean, if he stays with uh, uh, the Cardinals. So I, I don't know. Uh, what's happening with that. There's some weird stuff going on there. But if he stays with the Cardinals, Oakland, trade his rights to the Diamondbacks. Let's get him playing on both fields. Uh, although, again, being a quarterback, that probably won't happen.
2: Um, but I it's fun to play. dream on. And it's and, and that's a, such a thing with baseball is the things that we dream on. Whether it's a prospect, you know, heading their ceiling, whether, you know, it's a fourth inning and the guy is throwing a, a no-hitter, but you're not allowed to say that uh definitely that's what i love about baseball is like the fact that we dream on these things and do they always come true no but there's always hope and optimism in the sport
1: absolutely um okay well uh you have some really you you have a really cool you know i don't i was gonna say bibliography but i don't know what you call it for uh people who write online on blogs, but you, you've got some really cool stuff that you've already published is what I'm trying to say. Um, I know some of the ideas that you have coming up and it is again, in the same vein of just like really cool, interesting stuff. Um, I don't know if you want to, to tease it at all, what you're working on. Um, but I know that you have some really cool things, uh, that you are working on.
2: Yeah. So I'll tease one because I have an interview that's pretty much set in stone for a uh, I know that on on April Fool's Day, uh, we typically run something goofy, like when Nick asked we, if Jacob hey, deGrom we is a tell. good pitcher. Or when Nick r- ranked actual pitchers like the kind that hold water. Uh, I think that's been my favorite pitcher list April Fool's Day joke over the years. Uh, but I have an interview set up with uh, the guy who was George Plimpton's assistant when he was writing the Sid Finch story uh, for uh, Sports Illustrated. And when the hoax about the uh, Mets pitcher who could throw 168 miles an hour and only wore one shoe on the mound uh, kind of became prevalent. So I'm kind of writing about the enduring legacy of that hoax and, you know, how it's still a beloved baseball story to this day.
1: So that happened. I think uh, I read about that recently. I think that happened in 1985. I don't want to give away too much of your story, but. uh, Oh, no, it It was in 85. But, but, like, basic fact is happening in 85. And, like, this dude writes about uh, how this pitcher can throw 168 miles an hour and, like, wears one shoe. And, like, no one's ever heard of him before, somehow. Like, I get that in the 80s we didn't have the internet, but, like, come on. You're telling me no one's heard of this guy? And I'm, like, reading this and I'm like, there's there's like writing this type of story and then there's what they did which is push it so far beyond the boundaries of like what could in any way be conceived as real that like no one's gonna like everyone's gonna read this be like this is dumb like this isn't even close to believable and yet it was people fell for it and this was a time after like long after the war of the
2: world's radio broadcasts that people believed on halloween like this is the 80s like you you would think people would kind of wise up to hoaxes by then but People really fell for the legend of Sid Finch, which is, I I guess Mets fans uh, really need something to believe in, even if it's something (laughs) as wildly unbelievable as a guy who throws like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess. And then 86 happened. So maybe that maybe that helped them a little bit, like come back down to earth of like, okay, hey, we have something now that we can hang our hat on. Like we don't have to we don't have to hope and dream and believe in the Sid Finch guy anymore um it's so funny to me I feel like every every few decades again I, I mean I can't really say it but I just feel like every few decades we have this moment of like realizing that we're way dumber just like as a species than we than we think we are um and I've been seeing it a lot lately where people are like I don't ever want people to complain when people do dumb things in zombie movies anymore because we we're doing the dumb things right now yeah, and like they
2: did their best to make this story believable, right? They they found uh, someone to stand in as Hit Finch for a photo shoot. Uh, and he <laughs> even showed up to like Mets Spring training and had players and the managers interacting with him. So they really yeah. tried, they, they went for the hard sell. And again, I kind of looked into a Syracuse connection that George Plimpton's assistant while working on the story is now a creative writing professor at Syracuse. Uh, so c- kind of having that alumni connection made this story something that could happen uh and and it's something that i'm excited to work on and share with uh with readers
1: man what was i thinking when i went to a d3 college that like has no famous i mean there's some famous alumni but like i i clearly should have gone to a big school these connections that you have uh even even though it's not like you know these people like just having that it's been you've clearly made the most of it so even though earlier you wanted to apologize, uh, for spending as much time in the newsroom as you did in classrooms, like, you know, you've made more than made up for it. Right.
2: Right. And you know, those times when I, you know, bleary, eyed showed up to my class the next morning because I stayed up till 2am putting together a student newspaper, uh, nothing to apologize for there.
1: No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, Student papers are important, and and uh, I remember listening uh, when Nick had Chris Towers on Nick Pollock and Friends, who Chris speaks often about his experience working for the student paper at whatever Florida university he went to. I wish I could remember which one it was. Um, might have been. I don't think it was University of Miami, but it might have been. Anyway, he he talks about like the time that he spent working on that in that newsroom and on the student paper, and like that was by far the best thing that he learned in college that led him to where he is today. Uh, you know, writing for fantasy, you know, sports coverage at CBS is just, you know, all the lessons learned and the, and the experiences that he had in that newsroom. So, um, I, I honestly, I'm fully with, like, I, I know that there's, there's value to be gained in classes, but I think that doing stuff like that in college can be the most educational experience you can truly get.
2: And that's where I really learned to do interviews because I was like the concert coverage person for the the Daily Orange was our student newspaper, and Syracuse brought in acts like Ludacris and Macklemore, uh, <laughs> and, and and I'm kind of dating myself here, like Bob, B., back when he was a popular rapper uh, and not a flat earther. I uh, miss good Bob, B. and I had an interview with good Bob, B. and you know, as a <laughs> as a sophomore. Uh, that's something that I could, you know, help me cut my teeth in journalism. But if I can interview B.O.B., I can interview anyone.
1: Yeah, that first album that he put out, uh, The Adventures of Bobby Ray, it had. I listened to that so much. There's just so much good stuff there. Um, More than just, not just, you know, obviously like the airplanes and uh, nothing on you, but there's just so many good songs. I mean, I still listen to Magic and airplanes. It's, It's just That I I, and then I I even knew when once we started getting to some of the music that he started making after that, like, um, oh, God, I can't even remember the name of the song, but he did a. uh, Can't remember it now, but it was just one of those songs where like I could tell that he went from making good music, like uh, just about like life to singing about like the life he was living now, being a famous and and rich rapper and like, it just is a, it's an entirely different uh, world he was living in all of a sudden. Headband. Headband. Like I, that song, I was like, you know what? It's a good song, but I can tell that we're not going to be getting the same, you know, the same genius that we had when, in airplanes um, or magic in terms of like songwriting. Yeah. And there's been a couple interviews
2: like that where, you know, at the time you're writing high, you're telling everyone, I interviewed B.O.B. B., and now, you know, bring up that story <laughs> several years since it's like oh is that the guy who had a couple hits in the you know in the early 2010s and then uh I'm went crazy. on to yeah went on to espouse flat earth theories it's like yes
1: but at the time he was a big deal and it's an exciting moment and now now you're like yeah i interviewed macklemore and Ludacris and bob but macklemore mostly remember that that guy's awesome still right we still like macklemore like <laughs>
2: he's still kicking around probably the one that that's held up the best was i interviewed as a sophomore bo burnham Uh, and had like a slice of pizza with him backstage which was and he was like super great humble willing to give a student journalist the time of day uh and now he's you know he's made inside and is you know one of the most well-respected comedians out there so that one i can still hang my hat on
1: yeah that that's really cool that's a that's a good one and he he's someone who uh i really liked a lot of his early stuff of just kind of like that comedy music um weaving both together and he does such a great job he still does that obviously but like I don't know. He the the country music one that he did is I I still go like that's a legitimately good song by the way.
0: Uh, it really is. Country,
1: like the Pandering. Oh my goodness! I listen to that legitimately, and I'm not even sure sometimes when it's when I'm listening to it, I'm like because it'll just end up in a playlist, and I'm like, wait, is this the Bo Burnham song or is this just every other country song I'm listening
2: to? And kind of going back to the Bob interview for a moment. Uh, so when I was interviewing him after his concert, he told me he liked the polo shirt i was wearing which at the time felt like a really compliment but now that i have to question his tastes and and thoughts
1: i'm wondering (laughs) if my own fashion choices were not you know what i thought they were oh my god it's like when a horrible person agrees with you on something you're like wait no don't don't i don't want you backing me up on this like i don't we're not i i don't associate with you (laughs) uh that's hysterical um that's really cool. The the music coverage. I mean I, free concerts, I'm assuming. I hope so. I yeah, thrust passes.
2: Uh it was it was a really great experience getting to you know, live events are their own beast, uh, in terms of covering them. And that's good practice because when you're kind of writing a story right after your words, uh, you kind of learn how to manage deadlines well, which is also an important thing. When you're editing uh for a picture list and you know, Nick's
1: list has to go out at four on Mondays and and he's not done with it till very close to four on Mondays. Actually, that this is such such a great segue because last year and this year you helped edit Nick's uh, top starters. I don't know if he did top two hundred last year as well, but obviously the top two hundred this year uh, for launch day. This year, I think he said it was thirty seven thousand words. Um, I don't remember how many words it was last year, but probably thirty thousand plus. And I'm willing to bet. I'm sure he gave you the segments like he was probably done with one through twenty early on. So I'm sure you got some of those, you know, not at the last minute. But I I know the way Nick works, and I know that you know the the information's all in, the, in his head. Like it's all there. It's just a matter of putting it onto you know onto the computer. And so I imagine you got some of these very last minute and like trying to go through Nick's delusions, uh, and and deliriousness about just starting pitcher number 205 or whatever uh I, i'm willing to bet that's not easy
2: yeah the fact that nick even writes about 200 pitchers uh one probably like 150 would be more than enough is that's still already overkill me.
1: in my opinion 150 is overkill
2: uh but i think part of the fun is getting to read through his writing from like you said 1 through 20 i got early uh everything is just kind of as you would expect it to be. Whereas once you're getting to the back end of the top 200, which Nick sends you, you know, the the night before uh, (laughs) launch day, and you kind of, and it feels like some of the blurbs were written in like a, and I love Nick's sense of humor. I'm going to preface that with this, but it feels like some of the blurbs are written like a fugue state. And some of the metaphors (laughs) are just outlandish and wild. And you, you know, they're written in a, in a state of sleep deprivation. Yep. And that makes me love them even more because you know he he's reaching for puns that might not always be there, but I love that he's chasing them.
1: Yeah, I gotta respect respect the uh the the work that he's putting in on some of these these puns. Uh, and when, it, when that's it's like when...
2: when it's like eleven at night, and I'm reading "Don't Trust the Feds," uh, I just <laughs> I I, I, I love I love Nick's uh, pollicisms.
1: Like I don't trust the feds. I can't even tell if that's like uh, uh something to do with the pitcher or if he just like start got paranoid for a minute and started like writing what his tinfoil hat was telling him to write um and like didn't didn't intend for that to be in the article but that was just like you know a note to self like don't trust the feds like and
2: and i wonder if some of the picture nicknames like a lot of them were are born from you know real things but some feel like late night what if thoughts like when he writes about colby allard and calls him dralla because Allard is dralla backwards and I don't (laughs) fully understand why but like I wonder if that's just something he you know it's like one in the morning and he's writing he's like dralla would be a fun one for Colby Allard let's go with it
1: yeah I uh and, and I I can't uh imagine like I mean as an editor your job is to make things look right and proper not necessarily proper is the right word but you know uh make it look right on the website and and make sure that there's no typos but like when Nick is in those fugue states like i i'm sure sometimes it can be hard to tell like was that did he intend to say that because like it's really out there but like maybe it kind of works like i you know you have to almost like question reality when it comes to editing nick stuff and
2: something that i love about pictureless is that it there's no uniform. well i mean there's style in the sense of how we use you know proper nouns and uh, the way we, you know, use punctuation, but each writer's individual style is encouraged. Uh, there's right. no like unified sense of style in how you write. So, you know, if I'm editing a piece by Alex, Alexander Chase, or if I'm editing a piece by Nick Pollock, uh, trying to make sure that their sense of style stays intact while mm-hmm. also making sure the punctuation is clean enough, uh, that there's, you know, the, the sentences aren't going crazy long.
1: Right. Making sure that it's still it's still their voice. It's still very clearly you're reading a piece by Alexander Chase or by Zach Hayes or by um, you know anyone else on our on our amazing you know any of our other amazing writers. But at the same time, like trying to keep everything kind of sort of connected as if it was all one website. You know, publishing it, which is what it is. So, yeah, definitely, definitely not an enviable task. And and I, so much respect to you and all the editors who who put in the work that you do to uh, to keep this ship uh, running. Um, before I want to, we'll end on fantasy baseball. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll we'll end on something else besides fantasy baseball but before we even get to that i just want to know is there anything else that you've done here at pitcher list that you are particularly proud of or thought was really cool uh, that we haven't talked about i'm just really
2: happy and grateful that i've gotten to be a part of so many different things on the site that i was hired as an editor but i've gotten to write articles i've gotten to write ridiculous articles that might not be published elsewhere but uh (laughs) you know they have a home on pitcher list I've gotten to create gifts for the database. I used to write blurbs before "Rest in Peace," uh, the database blurbs, uh, but that was something that I used to do. That was my first real task with Pitcher List in 2019. Uh, so it's just been really fun to have a hand in so many different parts of this site.
1: Yeah, that was that was wild when we wrote. We used used. To, I mean, we still gif every single pitch, and there's you know like. I think with the year that I ran the, the gift database, there was some 2,700 pitches that we had to GIF. Um, but then we also had to write blurbs for every single one of them. And uh, that is so, you know, a good blurb is probably about two sentences, three sentences. That's, you know, I'm talking like 10,000 sentences or so worth of, uh, of baseball knowledge that now, thanks to our amazing player pages. Uh, you can get all of that information with all of the amazing Statcast data and everything that we have now. Saves so many man hours of man and woman hours of of blurb writing that now you can see the stats. But um, yeah, there was something something about, and I'm glad that you're still creating gifts for the database. I didn't have the time to this year, but it's a lot of fun uh, to create gifts of of pitches. It's it's what started Pitcher List, but it's uh it's still fun to do today um
2: and what i loved about the blurbs was that you know you'd be assigned a hundred of them at a time and some of them would be your garrett coles Eric corbin burns's but some of them would just be a relief pitcher you've never heard of on you know the kansas city royals and you'd you'd look at the gif and you'd find the stats on fan graphs you'd be like huh this is a really good pitch and getting to kind of find those diamonds in the rough was you know, a, a blessing. It give you something to write about or something to look for in the next season. And it's something that I, I always had a soft spot for.
1: I feel like there's probably some staffers who, whether they knew it or not, picked up on some unknown relief pitcher or starting pitcher and like drafted them on their teams the following year because they wrote that blurb for that pitch. And they were like, Oh yeah, this dude has a really good slider. Like I'm let, let's just, why not? You know, no one else is in on him. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be the guy because you know, I, I was the one who wrote up that, that blurb. So, like I know how good this pitch is. Um, speaking of fantasy leagues, this is a, this is a question that I always have for every, every person that I, I meet, you know, who is involved in the industry. How many fantasy baseball leagues do you play in? I play in
2: three. uh, Good for you. That's about where I would cap out. Uh, I I feel like I'm not a great fantasy player. I enjoy it. I get stressed out if I'm in too many leagues. Uh, I am the reigning champion and only champion of one of the only fantasy leagues I was in last year, uh, which, if
1: you remember, was the, the pitcher's hitting league. Oh my god, I have to pull up the 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 page for that. I will pull this up. This is incredible. I totally forgot about that. So while I'm but, doing that, tell tell everyone about what this league was.
2: Yeah, so we had a league where uh we only drafted pitchers. Pitching stats mattered, but how those pitchers hit also mattered. Uh so you know, getting National League pitchers was a big deal. And because of the, you know, the new rule that the designated hitters coming to the national league this is the only season that this league existed and the only season that the league could exist so i am the one time only time forever time champion of that league and i'm taking that to the grave
1: we we did not think of this in time we we thought about this league far too late we only got one season of it but you're absolutely right so what we did it was um kind of roto kind of best ball so it was roto scoring um there are nine total categories and it was just, you know, there's no head-to-head matchups each week. It was just, you know, how you did over the course of the whole season. But, you know, we also didn't want this to be like a <laughs> daily moves, wave wire league, because then it would just become, you know, a, a league of, like, who's going to put in the most effort. Um, so we made it kind of best ball. It was a draft and hold. Every team got to draft seven pitchers. And then we took our five best. Uh, this is way too much information. Uh, it was nine categories. Four of them were pitching categories five hitting. So like doing better in hitting gave you a better chance at winning. Uh, but what you did Eric was you didn't come in first in all of the p- hitting categories. You didn't come in first in all the pitching categories, but you were just remarkably steady across everything. Um you did not draft Shohei otani Uh you did not draft to my to my knowledge, you know, the Garrett Coles. Um you just had a really solid team full of guys who contributed on both sides of the ball. And also Jose Barrios but like, he helped with your pitching stats a lot. But Corbin Burns, you Darvish, Max Fried, and two-home-run hitter Adrian Hauser probably really carrying your your hitting stats. What a squad. And that, like you said, was an idea that was cut short
2: in its prime. If only we had come up with it a couple years ahead of time before the uh, NL took on the DH. Yeah. Uh, but kind of being the the only person who can claim a title in that league, it still feels really good.
1: Yeah. One of the, one of the rules, uh, for those of you who are like, well, how did the guy with Otani not win? One of the rules that we had was, uh, the only the stats on days that you were the starting pitcher on record counted. So Otani, uh, you know, hitting 40, whatever home runs, most of them didn't count because he only hit three home runs on days where he was also the pitcher, which by the way, three home runs still led the league in home runs hit by a pitcher. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, he didn't, uh completely dominate the league to the point where the that person um who had otani which by the way graphics manager uh justin paradis drafted both shohei otani and jacob DeGrom, and managed to somehow not win the uh pitchers as hitters league um so that's
2: that's good. brutal luck for justin you would think with those two anchoring the squad uh i think if de stays healthy he he gets more of a shot at the title
1: yeah, and because he came close, he only he only lost to you by three total standings points. Um, and the other thing too being that um, you know everyone was so bunched together in a lot of the hitting stats. Like you, o- Otani can outpace everyone by so many magnitude, but it doesn't work that way in roto scoring. You can only get fourteen points. We had fourteen teams. You only get fourteen points in any one uh, category. So even though um, you know theoretically, even if we got all of the Otani stats, you would have lost to his team some 47 to three or 47 to two in home runs, you still would have scored one fewer point than him in Roto scoring. So a little, little excess of riches there for Justin uh, with Shohei Otani. Um, But that's, and then, you know, you're in your keeper league uh, is head to head uh, head to head categories. Is that your preferred method of fantasy baseball?
2: That is my preferred method. I love kind of the, the back and forth you can have with your opposing manager in head to head, on a week to week basis. It's like okay, I'm playing, you know, this guy this week. I can talk smack to him all week, and then next yeah. week I'm playing so and so, y- and you know, you kind of really kind of develop some rivalries with some of the teams at the top of the of the standings. Uh, I I do like roto as well. I don't have anything against it. Uh, I just love the competitive atmosphere that head to head builds.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, I think you got to have that competitive, um, you know, mono-e-mono uh, atmosphere that head-to-head brings. So I'm right there with you. I pretty much and entirely I, play head-to-head leagues.
2: I know some people play in, like, double-digit leagues, and that's always crazy to me because then you're, you know, if you're watching a game and you're rooting for a pitcher on one team, but they're facing a batter from another team that you're, that you're rostering, I just I feel like you can get very in the weeds with your your cheering interests.
1: Yeah, you you 100% like there have been times where uh, like I'll go to like I I remember one time I went to a Dodger game and I don't remember who the pitcher was, but the pitcher on the other team was on my fantasy teams. And this was maybe in August, maybe September, a lot a lot on the line. And I needed this pitcher to do well. And so I remember saying to uh, my buddy who I went to the game with, I was like, here's what I need. Here's what needs to happen today. I need eight. Slightly not no hit innings, but like like one hit innings, so that they pull him after the eighth inning, kind of a situation. They don't let him pitch the whole game. Uh, I need the Dodgers to be losing like like less than three to nothing, so that they bring in the closer who is on my opponent's team, and then I need the Dodgers to absolutely wall. Like the best case scenario is it's three nothing going into the ninth inning. And then the Dodgers score three runs, load the bases and hit a grand slam off the closer. Like if that could happen, that'd be great. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I needing to thread the needle? So like, I'm just going to enjoy the game in front of me. Like whatever happens in fantasy happens. Uh, But the more leagues you play in, the more you have to thread those needles. And and I I could not. Exactly. Adding too
2: many leagues to your, you know, your baseball schedule feels like Having to perform so many mental gymnastics to get the outcomes that you want, Uh, so I'm happy to, to you know field a couple teams that I'm really invested in, and that's all that I really need to enjoy the fantasy season.
1: That's awesome, and I and I love that that for you, fantasy baseball is a way to enhance your enjoyment of baseball. I think for a lot of people that kind of aspect of it has gone by the wayside um and it becomes the fantasy baseball is kind of like the the forefront of it um and baseball takes the backseat i think fantasy baseball is at its best when it's helping enhance your enjoyment of watching the game um gives you a little bit of skin in the game but you're able to still enjoy like the actual game of baseball um i think i think you've got the right mindset
2: i definitely agree with that uh we have so many great fantasy analysts on PitcherList uh, writing about all aspects of fantasy baseball. I know that fantasy analysis is not my forte as a writer, uh, so I'm more than happy to keep writing and compiling stories about baseball in weird and romantic and ridiculous ways uh, and leave the fantasy analysis to the experts.
1: And And as someone who enjoys reading every single one of your weird and out there kind of uh, articles, please keep doing that. Please absolutely keep that torch alive of let's just, that's what's so great about baseball is that there's endless questions to answer, endless, uh, thought experiments. It's fantastic. Um, we've been talking pretty much exclusively about baseball. We had a few, a little bit in there about music, a little bit in there about college, but, um, just what do you like to do outside of baseball? Um, what, what are some of your favorite things, uh, in life that aren't baseball related?
2: Well, uh, much of my life at the moment is spent wedding planning, which is exciting, uh, but also kind of stressful and crazy in amazing ways. Uh, Alicia and I live in Milwaukee. Uh, We've been here since summer of last year, so exploring the city has been incredible. Uh, Miraculously, we have yet to go to a Brewers game. We're going to rectify that situation as soon as baseball is played. Uh, I'm a creative writer in my free time outside of Pitcher List. Uh, Writing a novel one day is a goal of mine uh, that I'm slowly whittling away at. There you go. Music is a good part of my life. Uh, I love cooking, trying new recipes. You know, it's a a whole lot of things that I just enjoy figuring out and learning. And, you know, being a lifelong learner is an, an important thing, I feel like.
1: I love that. Let's do um let's do a couple of Mount Rushmores even though Mount Rushmores are played out and everyone hates them, but we're going to do them because I like them. Uh I want to know what you so you're you're into music and you're into writing. Um well we can do either one which comes to your brain first, but I would love to know who your Mount Rushmore of musical artists is and I would also love to know your Mount Rushmore of writers. Um, right. especially in the realm of like the novel that you're trying to write like you know where do you draw your inspiration from
2: yeah so i'll I'll start with musicians so mount rushmore this is an awful
1: question it's for presidents right if you if you can't narrow it down to like if you've got your like five or six like i'll accept that like you know what there's room on the mountain we could have carved a few more faces in there so if if you like i can i, I can i can narrow it down
2: to four four is okay. you know it's like it's like narrowing down my favorite children i feel like that's a cliche but it's a cliche for a good reason <laughs> uh it's the mountain goats it's the hold steady it's bruce springsteen and four is probably paul simon
1: amazing i've heard of one of those uh musicians it was it springsteen it was, it was springsteen yeah it was my dad's favorite musician i would have heard of him regardless but uh I have absolutely no idea who the mountain goats or Paul Simon or whoever the second one you said was. Uh,
2: if you know like Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon oh, is half okay. of that.
1: I do know Simon and Garfunkel. There you go. I've never listened to any of their music, but yeah, there you go. I, I'm I'm revealing how little I know about music right now. Uh, ben Palmer is probably like uh, uh, crawling into a fetal position right now. It like, like no, like I should have been the one to ask him that question because I know these guys, but I don't, my bad. So And
2: shout out to the, the music channel on the Pictureless Discord. It's a wonderful place to discover new music. Uh there's so much diversity in genre there that it's just I find new things to listen to constantly.
1: I think the last time I went to the music channel was when Olivia Rodrigo released her album. So Hey, and that was a great album. So it was a great album. Actually, you know what? I think uh isn't Disney Plus doing a document uh, documentary or Hulu? Is doing a documentary around the that album, um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be a fun watch. Uh, all right, so now now that I've uh, revealed how little I know about music, and you've shared your favorite musical artists, and I'm sure their music is amazing, uh, why don't we do the same thing where you reveal how little I know about writers? <laughs> who, are, who, are, who are your who are your favorite writers that you really read a lot of that you pull inspiration from that you know are just uh, the best writers that you enjoy reading. Uh, which is also tough because I
2: love, like, I try to read as diversely as I can. Uh, so I'm going to go with Jack Kerouac's number one.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: Joan I've Didion. I've that name. Joan Didion, probably number two. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, three. And then, man, it's so tough. To, just like music. Just with, like, anything that we love, movies, music, uh, it's tough to narrow down. And that's when I realize I'm vamping.
1: Uh, probably Neil Gaiman, number four. Okay, I have heard of two of those, and I think I've heard of Neil Gaiman, uh, but it's one of those names that like it, it's ringing some kind of bell, but I don't know what bell in my head it's ringing. But uh, Jack Kerouac and F. Scott Fitzgerald definitely heard of them. Read I read one of F. Scott Fitzgerald's books; it was really good. I don't remember something about eyes on a billboard and like a car. Oh,
2: you de- you definitely read The Great Gatsby, and it was probably mm-hmm. the same edition that I read in high school. I I remember distinctly those th- those eyes on the billboard on the cover.
1: Yeah, I feel like I'd remember if it a Great Gatsby, that's a name I feel like I remember. You know, I think they made a movie about it with uh with Spider Man. Spider Man. They
2: did, and, and Leo, and it was directed by the same guy that did Moulin Rouge, and it was which not the right he... guy to direct that.
1: Boz Lerman's doing uh Elvis movie. He right? is
2: doing an Elvis movie, which is crazy because Elvis's story does not feel like it's conducive to fast cuts and crazy musical cues, but I guess we'll see what happens.
1: If there's one thing that I've learned from Baz Luhrmann movies, it's I feel more so than Fast Cuts and musical cues. I feel like his movies are indulgent. They're luxurious. They're they're extravagant. Um, so I feel like that is very much going to be played up. I felt that way. Obviously, Moulin Rouge and and um, uh, uh, Great Gatsby. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Elvis turns out. Uh, for better or for worse i guess it's
2: always fun to to watch a director that has a vision even if it's not the vision that i might have hoped for just like directors have that sense of style that's wholly their own uh that's why edgar wright is probably a favorite filmmaker of mine just because his movies are always just so crazy visually
1: right right uh wes anderson i actually really like wes anderson films um especially just there's something about them that's just so quirky and fun did Um, you see
2: the french dispatch last year
1: no i didn't i didn't see i didn't watch really any movies last year i so i, I don't I, know if it was just like not being able to go to the theaters but i was just like not down to watch movies last year so i've
2: never been like the biggest movie person uh until alicia came into my life and she is like like a walking encyclopedia of film knowledge uh and we went to go see the french dispatch in theaters last winter uh when it was open and it was just an incredible like visual feast just all the all the crazy sets that he has and yeah the the whimsical style wes anderson's just it'd be fun to you know live in his brain for i'd say a day but a day might feel long
1: Uh, (laughs) i'd settle for an hour careful because you you may not come out of it the same and like in in ways that you like aren't prepared for uh that's the one of the things about these genius and and we just saw it with um ah man when kanye west went crazy on instagram over the weekend i know i'm huge jump here going from like wes anderson to kanye west but there's something about creative genius that like just doesn't live in the same world that we all live in um and if you get too close to it or you spend too much time in it like it, i i fear for what it may actually end up doing to you um so maybe don't live in wes anderson's brain for a full day an
2: hour no I. I- an in, hour in an in hour long vacation i think i could handle that much
1: and maybe not like full immersion but just like you're taking a tour you're like you're 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 just driving by you know like a, like a, uh those safari tours where you're like safely in a pod maybe that's the way to go
2: yeah if i'm like you know going on a tour of hollywood and seeing the you know the famous people's houses i'm driving by that's all i need that's all i need in, in Wes anderson's imagination
1: 100%. Uh, all right. We're going to leave it there on on the, the Hollywood uh, bus tours that are kind of invasions of privacy and should be done with. But regardless, uh, thank you so much, Eric, for coming on today, for talking about just baseball and everything that you do here. Um, really looking forward to your Sid Finch article coming out soon. Uh, and people, if you've not read Love and Baseball yet, uh, you definitely need to go read that. I'll, the link to that article will be in the podcast. I'll go read it. It's such a, um, so many amazing, beautiful stories. So thank you, Eric, so much for for putting that all together. And thank you, Miles, for
2: having me. This is a blast and a half. And uh, you you are well worth uh, co-hosting with, with Bristol on this podcast. You get the the stamp of approval.
1: Let's go. Let's go. I I'm going to work on building like a passport of stamps of approvals so that I can present to Bristow one day in the hopes that I will be on the, the album cover, uh, and will you know, it won't say on the list with Austin Bristow, but maybe like a little in the corner it'll include and miles Nelson with an exclamation um, point. Exactly. Um, uh, Hey, if I can get the exclamation, I'm not going to, if I get the exclamation point, that'd be a dream, but you know, I, I have to be careful in what I ask for, you know, um, Eric. Uh, you've been an amazing guest, and, and earlier on in the show, you talked, you know, I, you've been an editor, you've been a writer, you've done the gift, uh blurbs, you've made the gifts. Now, you have also been a Pitcherless podcaster. So, uh, here's uh, to the rest of your journey of doing everything that Pitcherless has to offer, and probably running the site one day.
2: I mean, I, I feel like it'll take a coup to dethrone Nick Pollock. Not that I would want to, because he is a great and fearless leader for, for this site, but... <laughs> you never know.
1: I'll make sure I'll make sure to clip that and send that to Nick. Thank you all so much <laughs> for listening and uh Austin will be back next week with our next guest for on the list. <laughs>